Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Good to be in church tonight. I hope you have your Bibles. If you do, grab them and get them close. We're going to get right into the word of the Lord. And I do want to mention, as you're grabbing your Bible, I know it's a little while off, maybe in our minds, but uh, June the 4th, look at your neighbor and say June the 4th, is Pentecost Sunday. How many know we're in a Pentecostal church? How many know we're in a Pentecostal church? And so we are going to be celebrating Pentecost Sunday, and we have a, a very dynamic evangelist coming. Uh, his name is Jonathan Sanders, is a lifelong friend of mine, a tremendous preacher, and he's going to be with us all day in both services. And I think it'd be good for us to start praying for Pentecost Sunday right now that we would have an upper room experience. God's still pouring out the Holy Ghost upon all flesh. And we're going to pray that we have a powerful move of God that day. Start inviting folks uh, to Pentecost Sunday, June 4th. If you've made other plans, that's not a good weekend to go on vacation. That's a weekend to be in church and to celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And so mark that down in your calendar and plan to be here in both services. It's going to be a great time in the Lord. I want to get into my lesson, and I'm dealing with a subject that I think is very, very important. In fact, uh, if we can take these lessons, take these points, and really live them, not just know them, you know, there's a difference between knowing something and doing it. If we can take these lessons and put them in our heart and actually act upon them in our daily lives, there's going to be people who receive victory over their minds. And we need more victory over our minds in the church. And so I'm talking tonight about how to win the battle within. Or I could have titled it, How to Win the Battle for Your Mind. And so... Uh, we're going to look at several scriptures. Let's put our Bibles down, though, for just a moment. You've got it there. And let's lift our hands and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would renew our minds tonight. I pray that we would hear the word, that we would receive the word, and that we would act upon the word. We give you praise for it. We thank you for your touch in Jesus' name. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing and you can be seated. I believe that every battle begins in the mind. Uh, everyone struggles with temptation. Everyone battles fear. Everyone battles anger. Uh, many people these days are battling depression. Uh, if you do a little study on the rise of depression, uh, in the United States and Europe, depression is at an all-time high. Anxiety, people are struggling with anxiety. Uh, unlike any other generation, doubt, despair, unforgiveness, lust, greed, jealousy, all of these things are battles that begin in the mind. And you lose the battle in your mind before you act on it uh, with your body. And so every, every sinful thought, every lustful thought, every angry thought, 
every bitter thought, every thought that will destroy you eventually begins in your mind. And if you don't deal with it, if you don't win the battle for it, eventually you'll act on those thoughts. Uh, Old timers used to say, garbage in, garbage out. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Another place it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so uh, the bottom line, Scripture teaches us all the way back thousands of years ago in the Old Testament, God understood that the battle for overcoming sin, overcoming temptation, overcoming all of these things that affect us outwardly happens on the inside. And you have to win the battle in your mind before you can actually have dominion of your actions. How many want to overcome temptation? Nobody, nobody uh, just thinks to themselves, I just really want to give in to temptation. I just really want to fall. I, I just really want to be overcome with lust. Nobody uh, intentionally does that. But these things come against us. And if we're not equipped to guard ourselves, look at your neighbor and say, guard ourselves. We've got to guard ourselves. And so most of the things that I'm going to talk about tonight, and you can take us to the next slide, most of the things I'm going to talk about tonight are what I think of as safeguards, safeguards for your mind. I believe as Christians that we should guard our minds and that we should guard our hearts. There are many offensive weapons. How many like being on the offense? I like rebuking the devil, and, and I like watching him flee. Uh, I like taking dominion in the spirit. But the Lord dealt with me recently. You can rebuke the devil, and he must flee. If you rebuke him in Jesus' name, the devil has to flee. But if you do not put safeguards, spiritual safeguards in your life, you can rebuke the devil, he'll flee, and he'll come right back around. And he'll get right back up in your business all over again because you don't have safeguards in place. And he'll see that person doesn't have defenses. And so that's why many people are rebuking the devil over and over and over again just to wake up the next morning and wrestle with the same sin, the same temptation over and over again. What we have to do is put safeguards in front of our minds so that we can have constant victory over the things that attack us and the things that come against us. And so this is very, very important. There's no such thing as someone who backslides overnight. Anybody awake with me yet? There's no such thing as someone who just wakes up one morning and backslides. There's no such thing as someone who just wakes up one morning and says, you know what, I think I'm going to quit living for God. I think I'm just going to throw the Holy Ghost out the window. Nobody, nobody wakes up and just does that suddenly. That's a process. That's a battle that's been happening in someone's mind for a very, very, very long time. And for, for some people, uh, it's a process of years, years and years and years of losing the battle in their mind until suddenly it produces an action in their life where they fall away from God. Judas did not become Judas overnight. It was a process that happened in his life, a process that happened in his spirit. And so getting control of your mind is one of the most important things that you can do because you can have everything looking good on the outside, 
But if your mind is in torment, you're going to lose the battle eventually. And so a lot of times as Christians, we put a lot of effort on the things that people can see. And that's a good thing. But then we don't put any effort into protecting our minds. And so we're losing the battle and people don't even know that we're losing the battle. How many want to have victory in Jesus name? And so we're going to talk about that tonight. Paul addressed this very issue when he said, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12 2. again in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Paul refers to the battle of the mind in relationship to holiness. Everyone said holiness. And and he refers to overcoming the old sinful way of life. And so he says this. Paul says the old mind produces old sins, but a renewed mind produces holiness. Everyone said holiness. In verse 25, Paul illustrates that the first fruit of that new holy mind a mind that has been transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost, the very first fruit of it, besides speaking in other tongues, is that we will have honesty with our neighbors. In other words, you can't be a liar and claim to have a renewed mind. Oh, all right. No one's going to help me tonight. You can't be a liar and claim to have a new mind. One of the first things that the Holy Ghost will do is it will change how you are with other people, and you'll suddenly become an honest person. And so the state of our mind informs how we act. Uh, when someone, if you ever see someone, don't raise your hand, don't look at the person beside you, don't give it away. But have you ever known someone who just dealt with anger issues really bad? I mean, just almost any old thing would set them off and they'd lose their temper. You ever known someone like that? Are you like that? No, no, I'm just kidding. Don't. A lot of people struggle with, with temper, with, with uh, I, was, I was in the grocery store with my kids the other day, and uh, my kids were, they were hyper, they just got out of school, and, and they were kind of running around, and I was doing my best, you know, to corral them a little bit. They weren't totally out of control, but they were right on the verge, you know what I'm talking about, right there on the verge of being out of control. And I was right on the verge of having to take them out to the car and have a come to Jesus meeting. And, and as they were kind of goofing off, my son bumped in to a guy's cart, a, a middle-aged guy about my age, bumped into his cart. wasn't a real big deal. I was upset because my son shouldn't have been doing that. And so I, and, but the man, great big guy, all of a sudden used one of the most vile curse words at my son that I've, I, I can't even imagine talking to a uh, a seven-year-old that way just anger just and then of course what happened to me he did that and then I'm wrestling with anger all of a sudden because he just used a word he never should he shouldn't be using it anywhere but he certainly shouldn't be using it in front of my seven-year-old son so what happened you've got two people you got two men with their egos bruised a little bit and I'm thinking, Lord, I need the touch of the Holy Ghost right now because I want to lay hands on him suddenly. And, uh, and so, and, and I watched him, his face, his entire face changed all because a little boy, now admittedly my son wasn't doing right, but all because a little boy just tapped his card a little bit. He's cursing 
and he's so mad he can barely see straight. And I immediately realized this guy has no self-control. Let me give you a little tip. You don't ever pick a fight with someone who has no self-control. And so I got my kids and I said, y'all, we're getting out of here. And so we got away from him as quick as we could because I realized he had an anger problem. Well, people who have anger problems like that, those things, those things don't just happen out of nowhere. That's, that's a battle that has been lost in the mind a long time ago. And, and many things are like that. Many things that we think of as personality problems or personality flaws, what they really are is people who have lost control of the battle for their mind. And as Christians, we don't have to live that way. You don't have to live bound by anger. You don't have to live bound by bitterness. You don't have to live bound by lust. You can overcome those things. And as Christians, we ought to be more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. All right, so let me take you to the next slide. I'm going to give you the first one. Uh, I'm not going to be able to get through everything tonight. And so we'll probably come back to this. But Ephesians 6, 17 says this. Can we read it together? And take the helmet of salvation. Now, this is in the middle of Paul's discussion about putting on the whole armor of God so that we can withstand every attack of the devil. And in the middle of this discussion, he says, and take on the helmet. Everyone said the helmet. Of salvation salvation is the death the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ I don't have time to preach the entire gospel message uh, the way I'd love to uh, but we know that we are uh, we die with Jesus through repentance everyone said repentance we are buried with him in baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ the name that is above every name the only saving name whereby we must be saved and then we are resurrected with him through the infilling of the holy ghost speaking in other tongues that's the gospel and so when we put on the helmet of salvation it is our first defense in the spiritual battle for your mind and make no mistake the battle for your mind now, I know that we have chemicals. I know scientifically we have things that happen to us naturally. But many of the things that come against our mind are spiritual battles. Satan will attack your mind before he will attack your body. Satan will come against your thoughts. He'll try to manipulate your thinking. Why do you think advertising is a multi-trillion dollar business? Because billion dollar corporations know that the battle for control of your mind is where the money is and it's what impacts the culture and it's what shapes societies. The devil knows that as well when it comes to your soul. If he can get control of your mind, he can take control of your soul and he can manipulate your future. And so putting on the helmet of salvation, being saved. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who say, preacher, I just struggle with this and I struggle with that. And I say, well, have you been baptized in Jesus name? No, I haven't been baptized in Jesus name. And I tell them you will never get control of your mind. You will never get control of lust until you put on the helmet of salvation. 
You've got to start with the helmet of salvation. You need to be buried in the waters of baptism in Jesus' name. You need to speak in other tongues when the Holy Ghost comes and let God fill you with Holy Ghost power. It's Jesus who said, go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you're not just getting goosebumps and a good feeling. You are being filled with power from on high. It is the Spirit of God. It is Christ dwelling in us. It is the comforter that has come upon us. You know why people are struggling with anxiety and fear like never before? Because they have not experienced the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. We need to put on the helmet of salvation. And it will be our number one defense against every attack that comes against our minds. Now, is it the only thing we need to do? No, but you need to start there. Everything else flows from your salvation. All of your other defenses are powerless if you have not protected your mind. If you haven't, can you imagine being a soldier uh, in those days when they did that kind of warfare when Paul was writing and, and you put on the breastplate and you put on uh, and you put your shield on and you had your sword and you had your loins gird and, and you had uh, your feet shod and all of these things and you were. You were literally guarded from the neck down, but then you went into battle with your neck and your head completely exposed. How crazy would that be? And yet I see a lot of people trying to do this. They try to take the word of God and they take things from the word that are good things, but they have ignored the plan of salvation. And so they're trying to claim promises from the word of God. And, 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 and I'm not saying this with a mean spirit. I'm saying this out of love. You better be very careful trying to claim promises from the word of God when you have not been obedient to the plan of salvation. Put the helmet on because you can, you can be guarding all kinds of other things, but if you're not saved, you're in trouble. And so we start with the helmet of salvation. Now, I'm really, really, really battling the temptation to want to talk to y'all about the entire putting on the whole armor of God. Everyone said the whole armor of God. So we know that the helmet, it guards our mind, it guards our head. The Bible says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. So salvation guards your mind. Righteousness guards your heart. Mm. Have you ever noticed that people that that grow to hate holiness, they hate righteousness. It's always a heart problem. Oh, it got quiet. It's a heart problem. They haven't been guarding their heart. And so when you take off the breastplate of righteousness, all of a sudden you start longing for the world. You need to, you need to guard your heart and you need to guard your mind at the same time. The Bible says to take the shield of faith. Everyone said faith. The shield is, is a general defensive weapon, and so you can move it. You can guard your mind. You can guard your heart. You can guard your legs. You can guard your feet. The shield is, is something that you absolutely have to have. You need to guard your faith. You need to carry your faith with you everywhere you go. When the Bible talks about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, 
It's telling us that we need to stand firm and be planted. I, I know I've heard it preached that having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace is in reference to going and carrying the gospel. If you study the context of the chapter, I don't believe that's true. I believe because Paul had just said what? He said to stand that ye may be able to what? Withstand, to stand. And when you've done all you can do to stand, stand. And so Paul is talking about defense right now. And one of the things that he's talking about is that peace will keep you grounded where you ought to be. Peace will keep you under godly authority. Peace will keep you in the house of God. Peace will keep you from trouble with your brother and your sister. Peace will produce an environment where you can stand firm. You need to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. People who are always coming and going and they're wishy-washy and they're here one minute, they're the next, in and out of relationships, they can never have authority. They are people who have drama all around them all the time. Their feet are not shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so, and so when the enemy comes in, he'll attack their legs, he'll attack their feet, and he'll make it to where they fall, and they're not able to stand like they ought to stand. We need to put on the whole armor of God so that we can withstand the attack of the enemy. All right, I'll take you to the next slide. I promise I'm moving quick. I, I do feel really, really long-winded tonight. I'm not going to lie. That's all right. You can, you can, you can look at your watch. No, but I'm not going to be long-winded, but I do feel long-winded, but I won't be. The second thing that we need to do is rest. Everyone said rest. Now, I know that we're in a 24-7 culture, seven days a week. Everyone's open on holidays now. Everything's, uh, everything's 24 hours these days, and, uh, and I certainly feel it. Uh, maybe, maybe you do as well. There's the pressure to have your cell phone with you. 24 hours a day. You know, there was a time where uh, we knew that people would be unreachable sometimes, and we understood that. We're living in a culture now where everyone is expected to be completely online, completely connected, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And there are dangers to that. That's why people are addicted to their cell phones now. Did you know they're literally doing studies? People have separation anxiety when they lose their cell phone. They did a study of people my age that uh, they took their cell phone away from them for three hours. And a lot of those people were literally having mental breakdowns after three hours because they didn't have their cell phone. We're, we're addicted to our cell phones. We really are. Our culture has become so connected to where we, we have to be online all the time. And if we don't have access to the Internet, can you imagine if the Internet went down for a week in the United States? We would have mass chaos across the United States because people are addicted and their minds are so connected in their minds aren't resting. They did another study where where the first thing people do every morning before they do anything else, the first thing they do is pick their cell phone up and look at it. The last thing that they do before they go to sleep at night, and I'm guilty of this, is look at their cell phone. Do something on their cell phone. And we're so connected in, 
And what's happening is we're losing our ability to actually rest. We're losing our ability to actually have peace. And so we need to allow ourselves to unplug and to rest. And I know that goes against our culture where everyone thinks you need to work harder. And I believe in hard work. If you know me, I believe in doing our best. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. But we have to be willing to make time to rest. The enemy works best in exhaustion. When you're exhausted, when you're weary, when you're beat down, that's when the enemy will attack. Look at Psalms 4.8. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. When you rest, you should rest in the Lord. Look at Genesis 2.2. In the story of creation, God gave us an example. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. Now, how many understand that God is sovereign? He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all of those adjectives. But God does not need to rest. How many understand that? How many know that God does not get tired? God doesn't get tired. God rested as an example for me and you. If God understood that that rest is so important that he created a day, he created a Sabbath, and he literally told his people, you will take this day and you will do no work on this day. This will be a holy day. This will be a day of rest. And as Christians, we understand that we have a spiritual Sabbath, the Lord's Day. Sunday is the Lord's Day. But we need to take time and be obedient to God's example and rest so that we can have strength, not only spiritually, but emotionally as well. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, I'll take you to the next slide. Number three, I'm moving quickly. This one's going to sound strange to some of you if you're battling depression, if you're battling anxiety, if you're battling fear, if you're battling temptation, this might seem counterintuitive, but you really need to help somebody. Yes, you do. You need to help people. You know why? There's a lot of reasons why. You need to help someone because, number one, it's the right thing to do, and we're about to look at some scriptures. We could have looked at hundreds of scriptures, New Testament and Old, where the Bible and Jesus himself tells us you need to help people. You need to be a blessing to others. You need to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We could look at all of those scriptures. But there's also a good reason, a selfish reason, I guess. And that is because when you help people, it takes your mind off of your problems. When you get, you know, I see people that get in a pity party, get in a dark room, get all by themselves, and they're thinking about their problems all the time. You need to break that cycle and go help somebody else. It'll take your mind off your selfishness. It'll take your mind off the drama. And all of a sudden, you will realize that there is joy that can only be found when you are helping others. There is power that can only be found when you begin to help somebody else. This would be a good place for someone to say, amen. It just does something to you. It changes something inside of you. And one of the things that happens, you know, I, I'm, 
careful to say this because some of y'all might take this the wrong way, but my wife could testify to this. My personality is not a glass half full kind of a guy. I am a glass half empty kind of a person. In fact, if I'm not careful, and see, I'm going to be really transparent. Some of y'all are going to judge me. That's okay, but I might help someone who's like me. My personality leans towards depression more than anything else. If I let myself just be what Ryan French's flesh wants to be, I would be a depressed person. I need the joy of the Lord to be my strength. And I'm going to tell you one of the things that I find over and over again in my life is when I get out of my problems and I start helping someone else, I realize that my problems really aren't that big. When I, when I start seeing what, what other people are going through, I realize, hey, I've really been selfish. I've been focused on all of this silly stuff in my life. And then I realize this family doesn't even have food to eat. And I'm trying to decide which batch of Bluebell I want to open tonight. See, sometimes you just need to get a little clarity, a little perspective, and you think that everything's falling apart in your life, and then you go into a hospital room and you see a three-year-old baby who's having a heart transplant, and all of a sudden you realize, my problems really aren't that big. Let me pray for you, honey. Let, let me believe God with you for a little bit. It changes you. It gives you a fresh view of life. And sometimes you've just, and, and by the way, helping others is something you have to make yourself do. If you wait till you want to do it, you're going to probably wait the rest of your life. You've got to make up your mind. I'm going to help somebody. I'm going to be a blessing to somebody else. I'm going to look for somebody who needs help. I'm going to make an effort. Hebrews 13, 16. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. This is Jesus speaking in Luke 6 and 34. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive. So if you lend to someone and you're hoping to get back, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners and receive as much again. Look at your neighbor and say, Wells Fargo does it every day. Wells Fargo does it every day. They lend to people every single day. You think they're doing them a favor? <laughs> For real. You think Wells Fargo, if you go in right now and you take out a loan, are they doing you a favor? No, they're not. They're going to put some interest on there. They're going to they're tax some things. You're going to get some fees. You're going to get hidden fees you didn't even know about. There's going to be clauses you didn't know about where if you miss it by one hair's breadth of a second, you're going to have a 35% interest rate tacked on to your 25% interest rate. And before you know it, you're paying for the rest of your life. 47,000 easy payments. They're not doing you a favor. They're making a business transaction. They're hoping to eventually make money off of you. Verse 35, but love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Now, did anybody catch that? Jesus just says that God is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Did you know God is kind to the unthankful? That's why judgment is being withheld right now from a world that is full of debauchery and sin. 
because God is kind to the unthankful. God is even kind to the evil. The point that Jesus is making, though, is if God can be kind to people who are evil and who give just so they can get stuff back and who make business transactions and use other people for their own gain, how much do you think God is going to love and favor his children who give to those who are in need, who have a heart that says, I want to help somebody else, I want to be a blessing, and I don't expect anything in return? Let me ask you this question. Don't look at anybody. Just look straight ahead. How many know someone who does favors for people, but you know that they're only doing it because they're going to come knocking probably in a few days because they want something? Mm. Oh, it got real, real quiet. That's exactly the attitude that Jesus is talking about here. If you only help others because you expect them to do a favor for you later down the road. You have not exemplified the spirit that Jesus is talking about. It's a spirit that says, I'm going to give without strings attached. I'm going to give because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to give because I want to be like Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. When you put that spirit in your life, it'll be a powerful defense against depression, fear, anxiety, selfishness, and all kinds of things that will eventually destroy you. All right, I'll take you to the next slide and we'll probably wrap it up somewhere around here. This one's very, very, very important though. Choose clean entertainment. Look at your neighbor and say, we're talking about guarding our minds. We're talking about how to win the battle within. You cannot win Bishop, I'm going to get real old-fashioned here, okay? Some people aren't going to like me, but I'm going to preach it anyway. You cannot win the battle for your mind and fill your mind up with Hollywood's garbage on a daily basis. You cannot have victory over lust if you are watching lust. That's all right. I'm just going to go right on into it. I can't tell you how many young men I've talked to said, I, I'm lusting all the time. What are you watching? They tell me what they're watching. Everything you're watching is full of sexuality. And you wonder why you can't get victory over your thought life. If you are filling your mind with garbage, that's what you're going to think about. And by the way, we pick on movies and we pick on television. You ought to just throw it all out. All that garbage, just throw it out. But I'll tell you something else. You need to be careful what music you're listening to as well. Music is one of the most powerful influences in all of the world. There is a reason that we sing before we preach the word. Because music is a way maker. Music is a way preparer. It opens up people's hearts. It opens up people's minds. It prepares them. And that's why there's nothing more powerful than anointed people who are singing about the name of Jesus. People who are singing about the goodness of God. It changes the atmosphere. Listen, I've been in hospital rooms with people who are on life support and they were about to die. It wasn't too long ago. I was in a hospital room. They were about to die. They were ready to go. They'd served the Lord their whole life. 
And they were laying there and they said, I'm just ready to see Jesus. I'm going to miss my family, but I'm ready to meet Jesus. And we're in that, we're in that hospice room and, and they're about to slip into eternity and people are weeping and unsaved family members are there and they're literally weeping and all of the so sudden someone starts singing amazing grace how sweet the sound that had saved a wretch like me and you can see and you can feel the atmosphere change in that room because music is powerful. And so when you are listening to cursing, well, I'm just listening to the beat preacher, garbage. Your mind turns off. All of a sudden things are coming. You're listening to songs about who done who wrong and whose boots have your and all this kind of stuff, you need to get that out of your mind, get it out of your player, get it out of your iPad, get it out of your car, get it off of Pandora, get it off of all of that stuff. Because if you're listening to that, it puts an opening in your mind. I'll never forget years ago as a youth pastor, Brother Nathan, this is like 1952 or something, but, and the youth group was really, I could just, feel the youth group was really getting carnal when we used to have prayer meeting every Sunday night before the night service we'd have a 30 minute prayer meeting and we'd had powerful prayer meetings but our prayer meetings were starting to get just really cold just no one was praying and I'd try to draw them into prayer it was really getting cold and I was really bothered by it I couldn't figure out what was going on and uh so one Sunday night, I, I just happened to be outside in the parking lot at early, and some of the young people were driving up, and I could, I could hear the music from their car as they were driving out. They're driving to church to come to prayer meeting, and I'm hearing songs about stuff that I can't even talk about in a pulpit because it would be inappropriate. And I immediately knew this is why we can't break through in prayer. Because their mind is being completely taken over by the enemy. And then they come and they're supposed to pray and touch God. They need to be repenting. And so if you are filling your mind with that all through the week. By the way, that's why so many of our churches are so powerless right now. Because people have been filling themselves with Hollywood and ungodly music all week long. And then they come to church and want to do their little happy dance. And then they wonder, why, did, why didn't we have a good service? Why didn't I feel the power of God? Why wasn't I slain in the spirit like I used to be? Because you have been filling your mind with television and movies and music and ladies magazines and romance novels well i knew it was going to get real uncomfortable here that's okay it, we pick on we pick on the television but you can read filth too yes you can a book can be just as ungodly as a movie and you need to guard what you're reading guard what you're listening to guard what it is you're putting in your mind because you can do all of the other things that we've talked about so far. But if you are constantly filling your mind with filth, you will be completely powerless when the enemy comes against your mind. Psalms 10, what, Psalms 101 and 2. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. 
Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house. Everyone said, my house with a perfect heart. You know, you need to guard your home more than you guard anything else in your life. Your home is the one place. You can't control what your kids see at the supermarket. I wish I could control what my kids see when we're out in public, but I can't do it. Our world is ungodly. It's just the way they are. Uh, I'll just be doing normal things that everybody has to do, and my kids are exposed to things what we used to would have called softcore pornography. Our little children are exposed to it just walking down a magazine rack at the supermarket, just walking by. Our children are exposed to that. There's nothing that I can do as a parent to stop that, but I can control what comes into my home. And, and as Christians, we look like hypocrites when we preach against all the things that the world is doing and then our house is filled with it. We absolutely do. You have no moral leg to stand on and say they shouldn't be doing that if you're pumping it into your house all of the time. And so we need to guard our homes. It's the one place as Christians that we can actually control and guard. So I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will, read this with me, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Philippians 4 and 8. If we would all take Philippians 4 and 8 seriously and actually apply it to our lives, it would change our power over our minds. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do and the God of peace shall be with you. You want to have peace in your home? You want to have peace in your life? You want to have peace in your mind? You want to have peace in your family? Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Those are the things that you need to think on. Those are the things that you need to allow into your home. And so when it comes to entertainment choices, whatever it is, you need to hold it up to these two tests, Psalms 101, 2, and 3, Philippians 4, 8 through 9. And so whenever you're making an entertainment choice, whatever it is, you need to hold it up to these two scriptures. And if it doesn't measure up to these two scriptures, you need to throw it out of your house, throw it out of your life, turn it off, get it off, whatever you got to do, and say, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I'm not going to set something that is filthy in front of my family. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm going to keep it out of my life, and you will have victory over your mind. I wish I could stop, but I'm feeling just a tiny bit of resistance, so I'm going to keep on going. Did you know that we have a, a, a fear problem, an anxiety problem? I've alluded to it a moment ago. A lot of people, record number, take an anxiety medication. Did you know that this is not a coincidence, that the horror movie industry is at an all-time high when it comes to their profits and their output. I was with Brother Campatella, uh, the last revival that we had with him, and uh, 
Count Brother Campitella, one of my closest preacher friends. And uh, it was after that powerful night service where he preached about a woman's hair being her glory. Wasn't that a powerful service? And we left that service. It was late. It was pitch black outside. And uh, we were going to take him to Applebee's because it was the only thing open. And so we were taking back roads to Applebee's. And uh, we were actually, we got to talking, and I had quit paying attention. And so I told him to turn down the wrong road. And we kind of got off in a back country road, kind of in a field area. And I said, we're going to have to turn around because we've been talking. And, uh, and I didn't tell you to turn where I should have. And, uh, and as we were kind of looking for a place to turn pitch black, all of a sudden we look over. And there, no exaggeration. I'll explain it in a minute. There's this old white antebellum country house. And the porch is all lit up. And there's a huge guy with an axe. And he is crushing this lady's head with this axe. And blood is going everywhere. All of a sudden, we're, he had a gun in the car. He's grabbing it. We're calling the police. And we're rebuking the devil in Jesus' name. We're ready to go just take this thing over. And then... We started seeing other lights, and then we saw a sign. They were filming The Walking Dead. In the middle of the night, in an old home, you know they filmed The Walking Dead all around here. Big, big, big business. Number one show in America. Number one show in America. They film it right down the road from our church all the time. And when we realized what happened, and if you've ever been around Brother Campitelli, you know he's you know he's in tune with the Spirit. He gets out of the car, steps up, and starts speaking in tongues and rebuke it and rebuking it in Jesus' name. And we could and I'm and you could feel you could feel the Spirit. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. There is a spirit of fear. I know because I've cast the demon of fear out of people before. There is a spirit that can grip people. And make no mistake about it, the horror industry has the spirit of fear attached to it. And we have Christians who are watching horror movies all the time. And they wonder why they're dealing with all kinds of spiritual oppression it's not too hard honey you need to just get rid of some stuff and god will bring the spirit of peace back into your life this would be a good place for somebody to say amen christians need to have the wisdom that our elders had bishop the elders understood this when they took a strong stand against television and then we started bringing it into our churches and everyone thought it'd be okay and then everyone's just started watching anything they wanted to watch and now we wonder why we don't have the Holy Ghost being poured out like we used to because we have allowed the spirit of fear to grip our churches and to grip our homes. It's a dangerous thing. Stand with me. I know I preached a little hard tonight. I hope you still love me. But if not, I want you to know that I love you and I want you to have control of your mind and I want God to be working in your life to give you power over lust. Sir, 
You don't have to deal with lust. You don't have to be overcome by lust. God can give you victory over your mind if you will put safeguards in your life. Can we lift our hands and pray right now? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray the power of the Holy Ghost would walk with us, God. I pray that you'd give us victory and strength over every attack of the enemy, Lord. I pray that we'd win the battle for our minds. I pray we'd know that it's more than just about coming on Sunday and looking good. We need to have control of our thought life every single day of the week, God. Help us to win that battle. And we give you praise and we give you glory in the name of Jesus. And everyone said in Jesus' name.